Hi, everyone. Welcome to Framework Leadership, a podcast about principles and ideas you can use today to take your leadership to the next level. I'm your host, Kent Engel, president of Southeastern University. And I'm your co-host, Michael Steiner, vice president for innovation and communication. And while we're excited today to introduce our guest for uh, the show, Hogan Gidley. Hogan is a communications advisor expert who has worked for the administrations of former President Donald Trump, former governor of Arkansas, Mike Huckabee. Uh, It's an honor to have you with us today, Hogan. I really appreciate the time. Thanks so much for having me. We uh, we have a, a, a huge election coming up with the midterms, and this is probably going to be one of the most significant uh, elections in our history. What do you think is going to happen? Is there going to be a huge red wave coming? It looks like it by all available polling data, uh, but you can leave it to Republicans to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. <laughs> no <laughs> yes. question about that. But you know, look, I think the American people care about some things that that can be changed with a good president Mm. and good policy. And sadly, we have neither right now. Mm. So when you're paying so much for gas and for groceries, when your southern border's a mess and you're flooding this country with millions of people uh, that that have no right to be here illegally and unlawfully and just sending them into your neighborhoods and your communities, Mm. you have to pay for all the schooling. You have to pay for the health care. It puts a massive strain on first responders, on police officers, et cetera. It's a real problem for the left, and I think the American people are fed up with it. And when you take the juxtaposition of where we were two years ago plus with Mm -hmm. Donald Trump versus where we are now with Joe Biden, what you've inherently got is kind of a a knee-jerk reaction, a a, a shoulder neck snap, if you will, to go, wait a minute, we we, we were just able to buy groceries. We we were just able to to have a secure southern border. We were just able to put gas in our cars, and now you can't. And the only thing that changed was the leadership and the policies. Then you realize going back to where we were will actually benefit American families, regardless of mm-hmm. race, religion, color or creed. Um, and so I think we're, we're really kind of in position for a big win in November. And, I, and, and, and to follow up on that, would, would you say that the nation, when you when you look at the electorate and, and those who vote, I mean, isn't it a pretty much moderate nation across the board when it comes to policies and and the way that we uh, we govern this nation. It is, but you have to turn out your base uh, in record numbers to win elections. I mean, Obama was a was a base election. He had a higher turnout for, for the Democrat base than ever before. He just added a lot of independence to that. Donald Trump obviously weaponized the anger that was going on in this country, both from his base, which turned out in record numbers, and the middle as well, who were fed up with the elites across mm-hmm. the board. So it is, in a sense, a, a, a country that is divided, but there are a vast swaths of the country in the middle that have some serious questions about the leadership and the direction of the country. Look, what the Democrats have, have effectively done here is is made an enemy out of an entire constituency right. known as parents. Right, right. So anybody with a child now realizes because of COVID, the one silver lining I think we have is it exposed critical race theory mm-hmm. being taught to children. It exposed the trans agenda, mm-hmm. trying to, to trans our kids and teach them sexual things in, in kindergarten and pre-K. So that's the type of situation in which, um, you know, parents writ large are now angry at one particular party. Right. So while the base will turn out on both sides, the middle is really gravitating toward the right at this point. You see that with polling as well. Republicans on a generic ballot are up by double digits, which is unheard of. Wow. Um, so it just depends on, on how it kind of finishes up here. But you, you know, there's a problem and I'll, I'll end, end this question with this point, And that is 
Joe Biden isn't pointing to anything he's accomplished. The Democrats aren't pointing to anything they've accomplished. In fact, they're pulling the old Stacey Abrams a while ago saying, hey, we have a scheduling conflict, sir. Don't come to, oh, no, I can't make it to your event in my town, in my district, uh, in my city uh, or state. No, no, sorry, sorry. I'm going to be gone campaigning on the trail, of course. Ignoring Joe Biden, they know they've had a a significant loss of voters. They're hemorrhaging support. So they're going back to the bread and butter to try and turn out the race, uh, excuse me, the base for their race, meaning it's all about racism. Mm. It's guns. It's January 6th. It's those types of issues that they continue to perpetuate because they've got nothing to point to as a success. Love it. And what kind of advice would telling. you Yeah. And what kind of advice would you give to this middle as they're approaching the polls this fall? What should they need what do they need to be thinking about as they're making their decisions either way as they're listening to the message this is the kind of hit the news? Well, look, I think anybody's going to vote with their pocketbook. Uh, it's the economy stupid is kind of something we've talked about in politics for a long time on my side of things. When you, you had people like James Carville from the left pointing that out, and it's, it, it still rings true today. Um, but people are going to vote not just their values, but they're going to vote for politicians who will implement policies that improve their lives. Right, and right. so whatever policies they think will help them in the long run, that's who they're going to go and support. Of course, you can say, well, as long as you want to have a beer with them, it's OK. Or as long as as uh, you know, you, you think they're kind of salt of the earth and, and down home, that's where I'm going to go. Fine. The real issue is policy. And one thing I realized when I was in the White House for those four years, policy really does matter. Yes. And, and bad policies hurt people and good policies make your lives better. That's what we were able to accomplish. The opposite is happening now. So a lot of folks are looking around going, look. I need I need some help here. And the politicians who are in office just seem to be pushing this radical nonsense that is doing nothing but propping up a sliver of a percentage of a decimal point of people out there instead of taking a look at what the real the country really actually faces. Yeah. Yeah. I want to discuss uh, the future of the Republican Party. The Republican Party seems to be kind of in the middle of still trying to discover itself and what it what it truly values, especially after uh, President Trump's administration. How would you personally define the Republican Party today? Is there truly a new way of thinking? You know, what has changed and, and what has stayed the same? I think a lot of times the party out of power can be somewhat rudderless, okay? So they don't really know where they want to go. And then, of course, the media says, look, they don't have a leader and, and all those types of things. The Democrats went through this when Donald Trump was in office. Mm-hmm. But I think the Republican Party does have a leader right now. The titular head, I believe, is is Donald Trump. But more than that, if you take polling data from CPAC, for example, where 97 percent of of conference goers say whoever the candidate will be, we want them to carry first a make America great again mantra yep. and America first policies. That's a very significant move because that does show a coalescence around those populist ideas those proven policies that that worked to help out families in this country. And and to me, that's very significant. So the press will always talk about the 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 folks that Donald Trump endorsed or didn't endorse. And mm-hmm. what is his record, even though, it, you know, it's in the triple digits to single digits as far as wins right. losses. I think by the time this whole thing's over, it's going to be close to that. He's been very successful. But the America first policies are undefeated. Right. Yeah. Every is gravitating to take that mantle. 
you're seeing now members of the left, the progressive left, talking about funding police when it right. was their policies that allowed this country to be burned to the ground yeah, to right. the tune of more than two and a half trillion dollars of uninsured property. Um, they're the ones who said we need more social workers at these crime scenes. We need more, you know, counselors. Mm. That doesn't work. And you're seeing, you know, you saw a, sheet, a seat change, for example, uh, way back when for it seems like forever ago, but San Francisco and L.A. doing right. recall elections right. for progressive folks pushing these radical ideologies. So I, I do believe a lot of people out there are, are in the middle or taking the second look mm-hmm. and going, wait a minute. I may not have liked the tweets of Donald Trump. I may have had some issues with some of the things, but man, those policies were good. And so yeah. I think moving forward, most Republicans are carrying that mantle mm-hmm. or at least trying to or attempting to or wanting to appear to carry it forward. Right. Because uh, they know that's where the success is. Well, and I love that, you know, that the gravity of the American first policy is kind of moving out, not just from political figures, but we're starting to see, you know, pop culture figures who were never conservative are now starting to take that American first stance, like Elon Musk, Joe Rogan, these kind of voices, they're coming out of the woodwork being like, hey, we want an America first policy, even if we're not political, even if we're not policymakers. Do you see that trend going forward? What does it mean for more pop culture? Culture figures to kind of take that conservative America first side? Well, look, again, it comes with losing money, right? right. Uh, one of the reasons you saw the changes in San Francisco uh, and, and, and uh, what, the, what they went up against in LA was because it was the rich folks who were all of a sudden getting robbed on Rodeo Drive. Right. You couldn't roll around with a Rolex anymore. You couldn't get out of your fancy car. Yep. Then uh, it's a sad state of affairs, but that's really what kind of tipped people off. It's when some of these elite people out there in our society, what they were pushing, mm-hmm. this, this woke uh, culture, all of a sudden began to happen to them. Right. They were all fine with it as it was attacking people they didn't like. The next thing you knew, it went to blow back on onto their, their livelihoods, and then they couldn't make a living. They were being cast aside. Think back to Kevin Hart, someone mm-hmm. who I think it was the Oscars. He wanted yeah. to host the Oscars. And they, they dug up tweets he'd done from a decade previous and then said, you need to apologize. He said, I already apologize. I'm not going to keep doing it in perpetuity right. to make you happy and get pulled from it. All of a sudden, these celebrities who were for free speech, it mm-hmm. was something they wanted uh, to, to have in place as far as policies are concerned so they could make a living. Mm-hmm. Those same people who pushed the woke radicalism, it blew back on them. And it kind of made them, okay, hold on, let's take a step back. Now I can't make money. Right. I, I can't survive. I can't thrive because every little thing I say is parsed. It's why a lot of comedians don't go and do college campuses anymore because you offend everybody with everything you say. Right. I know that's not exactly what you were talking right. about. No, it's the but same I do thing. Think, I, I do think the, the, um, the folks in this country, remember, the left controls all of the major levers of, of influence Yep. And uh, it, it's colleges and universities, it's big tech, yep. it's the mainstream media, it's Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And all of those folks who are pushing these things over and over for, for, for years and years and years, it's bouncing back and hitting them. And it's just kind of a, a, a wake up for mm-hmm. them to go, wait a minute, we, we've gone way too far here. And, and, and I started this, this interview with saying the, the right can absolutely pull defeat 
yeah. out of the jaws of victory. Right. But if there's one thing we can always count on with the left, they're going to go too far. And right. I think they've gone too far, and I think it's going to hurt mm-hmm. them politically. Well, and yeah. I think the incredible opportunity here is even though, yes, the left controls these main swaths of leathers, like you say, we're starting to see new technology, new sources. I mean, that's the podcast networks, right? Teslas, all these different people where they're finding the outlets to get the message across on that part of it. It's a, yeah. it's an exciting time to see that switch, I think, sure. from the elites controlling the levers to now new sources of things that they can't control anymore. That's that's the kind of crux we're seeing on. on and, and honestly, I think that's, that's what's going to fuel them, though, to even be more visceral, more right. angry. Right. Because remember, when it was floated that Elon Musk was going to buy Twitter, everyone lost their mind right. on the left yes. that somehow a free speech platform was going to return to free speech principles, right? right? So you take away one of the four clubs with which they could pummel you with. They didn't like that at all. The the mere thought of taking away that power just blew them away. Right. So this is kind of indicative of where we're moving as more and more conservatives decide more and more independents decide we're going to go other places for our news, Mm. for our information, for our higher learning, the less and less power and stranglehold the left will have on this country. Yeah. Yeah. So good. I I, I want to talk a little bit about your kind of your passionate calling. You've been involved in American politics for uh, several decades. You've been passionate about your conservative beliefs since you first started, I I know, in college. What what prompted you to consider a career in politics? And what was the, you know, the moment where and when you decided, man, this is what I want to do? You know, um, it's funny because I actually started off uh, in the media. I was an anchor and a reporter, even did some weather. Thankfully, there was no YouTube back then, so we don't have to revisit any of those things. But, um, you know, I had a professor. At, I went to the University of Mississippi. I went to Ole Miss. And I had a professor who was, a, who was an anchor reporter also in journalism. And he was very uh, – he was basically an atheist socialist. Hmm. But you couldn't put an editorialized word in a single package you wrote for TV or he'd fail it. Like he was so militant on making sure you just reported the news right, and that right. you kept your own bias out of it. That's one reason I went into to news because it fascinated me, the writing of it, the constructing mm. of a sentence to put together information in just a minute and a half, which is the average length of a television news package, was fascinating to me. In the meantime, which is kind of funny, when I was in Little Rock reporting, our, our main political reporter went to cover the Susan McDougal trial, which was caught up in Whitewater, right, Clinton's right. back in the you yeah. know 90s. I went to cover a fella who was actually the governor of the state of Arkansas, a man named Mike Huckabee. And you mentioned him off the top, mm-hmm. someone I'd worked with. So I've known the Huckabees for 20 years. I've known Sarah Sanders since she was 19. Maybe we should turn off the cameras for a minute and talk about how she was as a teenager. No, Sarah's great. And I even told, I even told Mike, I texted him the other day when Sarah won her primary. And I said, hey, how does it feel to know you're one step closer to being forever known as the second best governor yes. in the state of Arkansas. <laughs> um, so we're really excited for Sarah's potential uh, and she's going to do a great job, loves the state. But in that role, you know, they had a bunch of newspaper guys mm. working for um, Huckabee and I, I'm a TV guy, I'm a TV background. And so they hired me to kind of do some of the, a show called Arkansas naturally that they had. It was a 30 minute thing every week, basically, Every governor gets a propaganda piece they can kind of put on mm. the air once a week on, on a local access channel. So I kind of took that over and then started helping with him. And it was my intent to get back into television because, you know, every every person I liked back then, you know, you wanted to get to the Today Show, for example. You wanted right. to be that primetime anchor in the morning 
doing something big on the national stage, international stage. And I got into politics and I just fell in love with it. But everyone had kind of leapfrogged in their career. They'd gone into politics because they wanted to report on politics. And so they got back into TV. I thought I could skip some steps. I wouldn't have to go to small market, small market, Mm. small market, medium market, medium market, big market. And now TV has changed in that there are avenues to do anything from a cooking show to a golf channel, Mm -hmm. you know, to, to wrestling commentary, whatever you want, you can do it out there. Um, So the avenue where I can still scratch that TV itch is pretty simple. And I don't have to get back into TV, but instead continue to grow my political resume um, from that standpoint. So in the 2008 range, 2012, I began national politics as the Republican Party um, executive director in South Carolina. We had a lot of big debates Mm -hmm. uh, in in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, in Columbia, South Carolina. And then I went to work for Rick Santorum when he ran for president. Uh, We won 11 Mm -hmm. states, came in second place. And then my national kind of move was on. And so getting to come into the White House, and I did that because Sarah Sanders, when she got promoted, she called and said, we want someone up here. So that's kind of been my track through the yep. thing, and um, I've really enjoyed it. But but I, I really have no desire to get back in the news per se. <laughs> well, what I love about your stories in particular is this idea that you don't have to take the same path to get to the goal that you want. Right. Right. And I think so right. many students, when they graduate college, um, specifically, and we got a lot of students to listen to this podcast, they want that. They think they need that like step one, step two, step three path. But really, the path to success is being open to opportunities. How did you position sure. yourself to be open to those opportunities and step into that to reach the pot that you're in right now? Well, look, I, I think, and I always tell this to young people. And when I was in the white house, I spoke to a lot of young groups and I would just kind of point out the fact that it, 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 you're being smart's one thing. Being wise is something else. Yeah. It's not necessarily what you're good at. It's knowing what you're not good at. Mm. So when people approach you for opportunities, you know, is not kind of in your, in your wheelhouse. Don't take it. It doesn't mean you shouldn't stretch your legs or spread your wings Mm -hmm. a little bit into an avenue that you're not used to. So from the media to politics, it's not that big of a leap, but I had to learn policy. I had to learn government. And that wasn't something I necessarily, I don't like the structure per se, but it was still something I was interested in. Whereas some people call me all the time and they'll say, hey, can you be a fundraiser for my campaign? No, I can't. And they say, why? You know a lot of people, right? right? But I don't ask for money. That's yeah, not, oh, right. but you'd be great. Well, no, because absolutely you'll be upset with the fact that I haven't raised enough money right. and I won't be happy doing it. So it's, it's not just knowing what you're good at. It's knowing what you're not good at and what you don't want to do. Be open, right. obviously, to new opportunities. Right. But, you know, where I wanted to be, I didn't necessarily see that as a pathway, although that's kind of what others had done. And I thought I'm going to kind of follow that. But other opportunities presented themselves that were just too good to pass up and that were fascinating for me. So, uh, you know, keep an open mind, but always look for those uh, good chances to explore new things in your career. But understand, um, be passionate about it. Everyone says, you know, if you pick a job you love, you never work a day in your life. Um, And that's true. It's trite, but it's true. So. Yeah, and, and you and I have the same backgrounds. I, I started in television news, was a news anchor, worked in NBC in Los Angeles, and they always say, well, how in the world did you get to be a university president? Well, it's that same thing. It's a journey, and you know, opportunities come, and you recognize who you are, your strengths, your values, your, you know, and you, you're able to step into those roles, and, and it becomes something that really you can be passionate about. And, and so I love, I love your answer on that. I, I have a question, you know, with media and press, um, especially having to, uh, to face people who oppose 
your agenda or oppose the policies or beliefs. And obviously that can cause a lot of time stress for anyone, especially being in the public eye. What are some of the hardest things you've gone through while in your positions and how have you gotten through those experiences where you had to face a hostile, uh, you know, crowd, so to speak? Yeah, look, this has been such a a change over the last several years. I mean, I almost used to exclusively do MSNBC and CNN. That was kind of where I made my chops and 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 or, uh, you know made my bones doing doing those types of interviews because it was kind of the self deprecating, you know, self loathing Republican. We just couldn't get things right type thing. And I think if Donald Trump taught us one thing, take away his policies, mm. overturn his executive orders, whatever you want to do. He gave us an, a, an ability to see it's okay to fight. Yeah. It's okay to fight back. And I think at this point in, in, our, um, in our lives, uh, Republicans and, and conservatives, the GOP, kind of realize we're going to lose this whole country if we don't finally take a stand and just say no. Right. No. You're not going to call me all these bad names. And I remember I got into a big fight with a, an anchor on CNN who was talking about Donald Trump. Uh, you know, potentially being a racist. And here we have, um, you know, a rumor that he used the N-word on on uh, The Apprentice in NBC. And it was like months of coverage that this had occurred when you actually had Joe Biden's own son using the N-word right. in text, but no one covered it, right? That wasn't right. a thing. But I, I got after the CNN reporter and said, you, you know, basically the, the, the context was, do you know what a what a, a exalted cyclops of a, the KKK is. I was like, Joe Biden does. He spoke at the funeral for one. Do you know wow. who George Wallace was? Right, he received right. an award. Joe Biden received an award after George Wallace's name and praised George Wallace. Do you know what a racial jungle is? It's what right. Joe Biden said. He didn't want his son to grow up in. I was like, so wow. spare me this nonsense that, that Donald Trump was opening up his properties and his clubs to African-Americans and Jewish people when this guy was popping around local news when yeah. CNN wouldn't even let him on air. So don't give me this, you know, this right. bull crap, this story yep. that somehow, you know, this party is the party of racism when we all know it's the Democrats who were the KKK members. It was the Democrats who embraced George Wallace and Bull Connor. And I think that kind of fight is yep. something that we have now understood. It's okay to do. And we don't need you to get on air anymore. We know MSNBC and CNN's ratings are infinitesimal, right. that no one watches them. And you talked about kind of coming up with new avenues. We found new avenues. We can get our voice out there and get the truth out there. Yeah. And so I think that fight is part of what's coming up in our future because this country is going away right. unless yep. we stand up and fight for it. Yeah, and I think that that gets to the heart of the idea, you know, the the, the big saying that politics is local, right? At the end of the day, where we're going to win Always. this fight across the board is business leaders, community leaders in their local communities taking stands against school boards, against policies they see there. What advice would you give to small business leaders or local community yeah. leaders who are facing backlash because of their idea of American first policy. What, what encouragement Look, would you give them there? Mike Huckabee told me a long time ago that the easiest way to effectuate change uh, is, is the more local the politics, the easier it is. Right. Okay. So for example, you just hit on school boards with this critical race theory stuff. Mm -hmm. Republicans never got involved in school boards ever. Right, right. That's why they're standing in front of an entirely Democrat school board when they right. stand up there. Now they're running for these offices yep. to effectuate the changes they want to they want to effectuate and getting involved at that local level matters. Now you may have desire for national office. You may have desire for, you know, um, uh, statewide office, but if you have any desire to really change something, start local, yeah. right? It, it, 
you find out where you're being called to, to lead and serve and you go that direction. But for me, that is something that is so undervalued because you're not going to win these battles on Fox or CNN or MSNBC or, or right. ABC, whatever. You're going to win them at the local newscast level. You're right, going to yep. change hearts right. and minds locally. It's easier to do it. And something else Governor Huckabee said was the worst job in politics is a school board member because everyone has your phone number. Yeah. Right. Um, and he's absolutely right. And you've seen some blowback with their bad decisions. OK, mm-hmm. so. Getting involved at that level, whether you are a business leader, whether you're a community organizer, as Barack Obama was, whether you're, um, you know, dealing with uh, grassroots organizations, you know, find out the best ways to mobilize. But also, look, no one's talking about violence or anything like that. When I use the word fight, someone's going to come back and say, look, he's talking about violence. I'm talking about policy-wise, politics-wise. Put pressure Mm -hmm. through letter writing. Put pressure through radio appearances, through podcast appearances on your local officials and say, look, guys. You can't do this to our children or, hey, you can't do this to our local businesses. They need to understand. And sadly, a lot of times they do. But it's only through, uh, you know, through through means. If you can get to some of these folks donors and point out what that person's doing, I guarantee you they'll change their tune when they realize that those those uh, folks who used to fund their campaigns won't fund them anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're going to move into our fire round, and and I love what you said about uh, all polit- uh, all politics is local. In fact, I think it was Tip O'Neill that wrote a book, "All Politics uh, Is Local," and That's that is right. so true to get into the grassroots of that and and put forth messaging. So I love this conversation. We're going to move into our fire round, closing out our, our time together. We just want to ask a few quick questions. Now, are these and, are these one word answers? Or are these? Uh, I, I yeah, get a I to mean, make it they can be one word answers, but what Whatever, comes from okay. the gut? Yep, yeah, yep. Fire, and okay. and again, just some gra- grabbing some. Uh, practical, applicable pieces of advice for our, our, our listeners. So, Michael, fire away. Love it, love it. So, what advice would you give to a conservative student who may be attending a predominantly liberal college right now? I'm, I'm going to ask for clarification. Yep. In what way? As it relates to com- combating other students, as it relates to a liberal teacher? I mean, in to, what way? Uh, uh, probably living in accordance with their beliefs, their ideology. They're in college, they're trying to learn, they're trying to grow, yeah. but they also know yeah. what they believe on that part. How, what kind of encouragement would you give them? Look, I, I think a lot of folks in this day and age, though, sadly, and I, I would kind of disagree with some of the, um, the uh, practices, yep. uh, be less obnoxious. Uh, yeah. Be willing to take the fights, though. Study your positions, I think, is always important. Ben Shapiro always talks about when he was in college, he would argue conservative positions in the class, but he'd write the papers liberally so mm. that he'd get good grades, which, yeah, of right. course, he did. <laughs> so it's kind of funny. But, but look, I, I think understanding the playing field, understanding your audience, learning your issues, learning the data and statistics is always important mm-hmm. for conversation. And changing the framing of the argument. Don't let them put you in a box. Right. You uh, be the aggressor in that way. Love That's it. good. Uh, what are some simple ways that people can just get involved in the political system? Look, I, I think it depends uh, on a couple of things. If, if, if you want to find out uh, you know, where your issues are locally, uh, again, statewide, nationally, um, you know, start following people on social media that carry forth those principles. But I would argue also follow those who don't. So mm. you know what the other side is saying. Yeah. It's always important to see what they're arguing and how they're arguing it. Okay. Remember, uh, bias in the media happens in two different ways, what you cover and how you cover it. So you're not going to get straight answers necessarily from the news, but I would go straight to the horse's mouth. Mm. Look at what these leftists are saying. Look at what liberals are saying. Look at what Democrats are saying. Find out how they're framing the argument. 
find the other side out, and then that helps better channel what you want to say and to be a more effective communicator. Love it. Love it. Last question. What's one piece of advice you would give to your 20-year-old self? Oh, goodness. That's a very hard question. Gosh, I wish I'd have, I wish I'd have gotten these questions before like Joe Biden does. And I could have called on the right. – I wish I had a prompt to read off these answers. Right there. Uh, um, you know, I just think I, – I would just say never forsake your principles mm-hmm. for a paycheck. Yeah. Right. Um, and thankfully, I haven't done that. Yep. Uh, Mike Huckabee is one who taught me how to be a Christian and still, you know, mm-hmm. adhere to kind of the rough and tumble world of politics. Uh, so did Rick Santorum. So did Elizabeth Dole for heaven's yeah, sake. I worked right. for a lot of good folks. Wow. And um, that to me is is one of the ones that there are a lot of mercenaries in this business. And I'm at a point now in my career where I don't have to take a job Love it. with someone I'm unsure of. Right. Thankfully, I've only been working with good folks, but that would be my main my main. Um, piece of advice. Good, good wisdom. Well, Hogan, we want to thank you for joining us today on Framework Leadership, but grateful for your insight that you've provided our listeners, grateful for uh, your service to our nation and the role that you serve, your voice, your your care for the issues that uh, make us and will make us a great nation. So if you want to stay up to date with Hogan, you can follow him on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And that is at J Hogan Gidley. Is that right? And getter, don't forget. Okay, we can't let big tag run us all. That's nope. right. And getter, yep. getter as well. Love That's right. it. Love it. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank y'all. Really appreciate the time. Y'all have a great day. Thank you. Uh, For more leadership content, check us out on Instagram at Kent underscore Engel, at Dr. Michael Steiner, or if you're on Twitter, at Kent Engel. Also, if you're watching us on YouTube right now, now would be a great time to hit that uh, subscribe button, hit that like button so you get more incredible leadership conversations into your YouTube feed every single week. You can also visit our website, KentEngel.com. Subscribe to our weekly newsletter. A lot of incredible leadership content, articles, book recommendations, blog posts from Dr. Engel. It's right into your inbox every single week and it's beautiful shout out to the pr team that takes care of that you guys do a great job thank you all so much for listening to framework leadership take care everybody